goal for the Irish at the timeout. Williams, right to the right side. Powers to the end zone. Look, low snap, picked it up, takes an end zone shot, and finally, McKinley goes up and gets it, and it is a touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers Podcast with your hosts, Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach. What's going on, everyone, and welcome to the Golden Homers podcast. In this episode, Mason and I welcome in a good friend, Jack Leniart, as we break down our list of the top 25 most impactful players for the Notre Dame football team in 2022. Each of us put together our own list and then calculated the average ranking to create a top group. Should be a lot of fun as we sift through each other's lists and find out where we agree and where we might disagree. And there seems to be a consensus on the top half, while the last 10 spots or so are all across the board. We'll also discuss our thoughts on the recent news of Tyler Buckner being named QB1 for September 3rd in Columbus and the shakeup in the wide receiver room with Avery Davis out for the year and Wilkins ahead of schedule, possibly ready to go against Ohio State. Lastly, we'll finish up with some fan questions. I'm Nathan Erbach. With me, as always, is Mason Plummer. Let's get after it. All right, guys, like I mentioned in the intro, welcome to the Golden Homers podcast. We have a fun episode here today. We also welcome on uh, myself and Mason. We welcome on one of our good friends, Jack Leniart from the old slap, the sign days. Um, Jack, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Anytime I get to chop it up with you guys is, is a good day. So happy to be on the pod. Awesome. Awesome. And Mason, of course, how are you doing, my co-host? Doing well. Glad to have Jack on. Um... Yeah, throwing it back to the slap the sign days for sure. I mean, that feels like a long time ago, but those are some of my best memories with everybody for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. And like I got, and like I said, guys, in our intro, we are doing a top 25 today of the most inf- impactful players for the Notre Dame football team in the class of 2023. Um, but to start, just to kind of get a few quick things out of the way, Notre Dame received some news over the weekend. Unfortunately, sixth-year senior, a guy that they were counting on, Avery Davis, is going to be out for the season. My guess would be is probably that's probably the last time we'll see him in a Notre Dame uniform. Not too many guys are coming back for that seventh year, even if he might be able to. Um, but then maybe some good news on like kind of the same day. Marcus Freeman had his uh, you know his normal presser after like a Saturday practice, and we learned that Joe Wilkins is ahead of schedule and. You know, so some good news, bad news there, and he might actually be able to play on uh, week one in Columbus. So um, do you guys have any thoughts just kind of on Avery Davis and Joe Wilkins? It couldn't have happened to, you know, a better role model or a guy, you know, that's the last guy you wanted to see injured for Notre Dame. The amount of things he's gone through, he's played just about every position possible. Um, came to Notre Dame as a quarterback, running back, wide receiver, corner, you know, receiver again, whatever it was. And you hate to see that happen to him. I mean, the guy, he, he's a role model. He's done everything for Notre Dame. He sacrificed everything. And just to see his career potentially end this way, you said it, you can't imagine him coming back again for a seventh year. But, you know, crazier things have happened. So Notre Dame would welcome him back with open arms, you know, as a, if anything, just a mentor to the young guys of, you know, this is what it means to be a team player. This is what it means to be a Notre Dame guy. Um, you know, he's, he's done it all. So, um, you know, get flashbacks to that catch, that catch against Clemson. Uh, that's the first thing I think about with Avery Davis. So a lot of great moments for Notre Dame. And hopefully he can still, you know, from the sidelines, lead this young receiver core and thin receiver core. Um, they're going to need him, his leadership big time, even though he's not going to be on the field. Yeah, football can be a, a pretty cruel sport. Um, 
it's, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find someone on, on this Notre Dame roster who's easier to root for than Avery Davis. Like Mason mentioned, like he's done everything that the coaching staff has asked of him during his time at Notre Dame. So um, just really heartbreaking news. And I mean, I think that sentiment was echoed from like any Notre Dame fan you saw reacting to the news this week. So yeah, tough, tough to hear. Um, really tough for him considering it's, I mean, likely going to be his last season uh, with Notre Dame. Um, but I think as Mason mentioned, he's definitely seems to be the type of person who has the mindsets to, to still stay engaged and know he can still contribute to this team, um, even if it's not on the field. Yeah, I mean, a couple words that come to mind are just selfless. Obviously, like you guys mentioned with the idea that he's pretty much played any, every position imaginable for a kid his size. Um, and then certainly leader, obviously, with, you know, coming back as a, a captain last year. He was a captain last year. He was certainly going to be a captain this year. And I'm, I'm assuming will still be a captain, even though he won't be on the field. Um, and, and certainly a good voice in that wide receiver room. Um, any, any thoughts on Joe Wilkins being ahead of schedule and obviously getting him back? It can't be a bad thing. I mean, Notre Dame needs bodies. And, uh, you know, even if he's not able to be 100% for Ohio State, you know, just something, some, literally anybody that's capable. And he's definitely capable. So I think we weren't expecting him to be back until the middle of, uh, what was it, middle of October. Is that right? Yeah, there's a wide range of, I think, you know, he okay. could be back in late September or he might, honestly, he might not be back at all type of thing. I mean, that, that's just such a weird injury. Yeah, so, I mean, you want, you want to be careful with it because you don't want to rush him back. It's like a catch-22 because you, you don't want to rush him back, but Notre Dame also needs him, like, immediately. So, I mean, you got to be careful, and I'm sure the, the kid wants to be back as soon as he can be. So, And he wants, he wants to contribute again and be out there against Ohio State, as anybody would. So uh, they got to play this the right way. Hopefully they get him back 100% because I think he can be an impact contributor for Notre Dame when he's healthy. Yeah, definitely, definitely big news to hear because, um, I mean, it's arguably Notre Dame's biggest game of the season is their season opener. So um, fall that, um, I guess, a little bit of silver lining with, with the wide receiver news that we got this week. Um, I'm, I'm sure they're they're being as cautious as, as they need to be because, I mean, coming off of a surgery, like, I feel like there's like an added element of risk involved there to some degree. So um, like it's, they, I, I don't think they are being reckless with, with rushing him back, even though I'm sure he's, you know, chomping at the bit to get back out there. Um, but I mean, if he's ready to go, that, that is massive for this offense. I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, it's a Liz Frank injury, which is just one of those ones where, it's also, I mean, he could get hurt week one again from it. It's it's a re, it's one of those injuries. I think Pont Bonzi Colson had it his last year at Notre Dame, came back, re hurt it. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, Kevin Austin also had that same injury, re re injured it as well. So it's it's one of those ones where you just never know how long it might it might happen again. So hopefully, like you guys mentioned, trust the training staff. They're not going to let him go out there if he's not 100% cleared to play. Um, and it's, it's going to bring a different element to the offense, I think, too, which is some I was thinking about this the other day. He's obviously not on the same level as a guy like Jackson Smith and Jigba um, or like a Keenan Allen, I guess, is a is a comp I kind of had for him in the NFL. But you throw him in the slot where Avery Davis was, you know, kind of pegged for and he's more of a possession type receiver can pick up, you know, 10, 15 yards at a time versus someone who's going to you know, take a, a screen to the house or a, a slant to the house or something like that. So reliable hands, a guy that's been in the program for five years now. So 
Um, I, certainly a guy you want back and, and someone we wanted back even before the Avery, Avery Davis injury. So, so good news there. Obviously, I think we all expected Tyler Buckner to be the starting quarterback in Notre Dame. Um, I know like I know the coaching staff, you know, played it up a little bit. And I'm sure that there was an actual realistic competition there between uh, Buckner and Drew Pine. But I don't think there was anybody in the country that was predicting Pine to come out on top um, simply because of the upside. Mostly, I think, first and foremost, that this offense can have with a guy like Buckner. You brought him in to be your starter. Any thoughts there, guys, you know, with Buckner being named the starter about two to three weeks out, outside of September 3rd? I'm glad that they did it this early. Um, <clears throat> you kind of said it, that nobody really believed that there were the quarterback battles, so don't act like there is. Let the offense settle in, know that he's their quarterback one, as they all really know, right? So just make it clear, make it known. Let Tyler Buckner, you know, kind of relish in that moment and get comfortable. Don't make it, you know, the week before, the day before Ohio State. Everybody knows who the starter is. Let him, let him get comfortable in that role. Because it's, you know, people say it's the most prestigious position in college football. And, you know, I don't think they're necessarily wrong. And that comes with a lot of pressure, too. So um, making sure he's ready for all that and getting prepared. I know he's been – I'm sure he's been thinking about that since he got to Notre Dame. So now it's just time for him to have his moment and prove himself. And I have no doubt that he will. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it's definitely better to, to make this decision early on. Um, and particularly with a guy who's going to be a first-year starter um, – you don't really want him having any, any doubts creeping in and you want him to feel like he has the full support of, of the staff going into, um, you know, preparation for their, their season opener against Ohio state. Um, and in, in, on the same note too, like pine has proven himself to be a very capable backup. So I don't think this is going to really discourage him in any way. He knows that if he's called upon, he can come in and perform. Um, and especially considering that, Buckner has a little bit of an injury history and is going to be running the ball a little bit more, um, taking some hits. Uh, he's, he's got to be ready. Yeah. And it's not like, I think the big thing, and me and Mason have talked about this in the past. It's not like Ohio state really has an idea of what the offense is going to look like with Buckner anyway. I mean, obviously people understand that he's a runner, you know, he has a good arm and there might be some, I don't know, they might not be able to throw the football like they did last year with like a Jack Cone, who's a pocket passer or like an Ian book. Who's, you know, maybe more of a pocket passer than, than Buckner is at least on like a surface level, but they still have never seen a true offense designed around Buckner. Cause last year was mostly gadget plays and different things like that. So there's not this built-in advantage of trying to get them to figure out who's going to be the starter. Cause they still don't really know what the offense is going to look like. Um, at least overall. And then Jack, I think you said it best with Pine. He's kind of like that perfect guy that can come in even in the middle of the game and, and still provide a, a spark and B, I think quality play if Buckner were to go down. So, um, but guys, this podcast is definitely today more about the 25 impact, most impactful players. Um, it's something that we've done every year on the, on the slant route podcast. Um, shout out to, to Jack's. But um, and, and we are going to be on there either later this week or next week, kind of doing a more in-depth analysis of this list. But we, it's a fun thing we like to do every year. We kind of stole it from, I believe, what was it, Douglas Farmer? He, he kind of started this, and he no longer does it, if I'm not mistaken, Jack. Yeah, I mean, at least to my knowledge, he was the first one to kind of uh, start this, um, at least with in the, the framing of most impactful players. I mean, I'm sure, um, you know, publications in the past have tried to like rank top players and stuff like sure. that, but I think it's, it's 
just a slight tweak because it's not just who's going to have the, you know, who's going to put up the biggest stats at the end of the season. You just kind of have to try and predict overall impact. And that um, a lot of times doesn't really show up in the box score. Right. Right. Exactly. And I know like Irish illustrated, they pretty much rank every player on the roster, like whatever it is, 98 through one essentially. Um, And, but it's like you said, it's not, it's not, you know, best to worst, it's most impactful to least impactful, essentially from like a top one to 25 standpoint. And it's, it's, it's a fun list every year. Uh, Just looking at the stuff I have in front of me, we ended up having, I believe 32 guys with a, with a vote, at least from one of us. Um, And actually at the top of the list at 25, we have two guys that sort of tied. So I kind of grouped them together. But before we get to that, the guys that barely missed, and we can talk about them real quick, the guys that barely missed that did receive at least one vote are freshman tight end Eli Raritan, uh, nose tackle Jacob Lacey, wide receiver, redshirt freshman Jaden Thomas, um, starting right, ga- right guard uh, Josh Lug, Joe Wilkins, ironically enough, and Howard Cross. Um, my guess is, is that Avery Davis would have been either on this part of the list or towards the back half of the list if he were healthy. Um, if, it, but uh, kind of Joe Wilkins sort of takes that place, I think, with him coming back. But uh, any any thoughts on those guys kind of barely missing? I know a few of us had those guys. I think, I think Mason, actually, you were the only guy that had Raritan on the list. Um, and uh, I know I had Joe – I had Thomas on the list. And, Jack, I believe you were the only person that had Josh Luck. So um, any, any thoughts there, guys, on the guys that maybe just barely missed? Yeah, I think that Raritan's a good pick. Uh, I was surprised that you guys don't have him. I think Lacey's a good pick, too. I mean, obviously, I had him on there. But I think that they're going to be in impact, impactful positions for Notre Dame, and they're going to have to play quite a bit. So I think my picks will, will come true uh, around this time, you know, maybe three or four months down the road. So, um, you know, I'm confident in my guys. I think that it's a hard list to rank, though, and that's why I think this is such a fun exercise. I meant to say that a minute ago, is that it's so fun because, it, like, defining your, you know, your definition of impactful is different than mine. That's what makes this, this great. And Notre Dame has a deep roster with a lot of players that will become impactful. And like we, before we recorded, we hopped on and or I guess that was not a text message chain, but either way, um, you know, going back through our old <clears throat> picks from last year and how many guys you ended up being wrong or right or in between. And uh, yeah, but I think uh, Raritan and Lacey are two guys I expect you guys both to have, but uh, I guess we'll see. Yeah, I um, I mean, typically in the past few years where we've done this list, I've always included the starting five along the offensive line. Um, it's not like a <laughs> not really a flashy pick, but um, so that's that was really my only reason for for including Lug in there. And also, I mean, he's he has a history of playing a couple of different positions. So I think if they do need to shuffle around, um, he brings value there. Um, as far as um, I think, did you say Joe Wilkins? I was the only one that had Joe Wilkins on there. Well. You were the only, yeah, you were the only one that had Joe Wilkins on there. So yeah, that was, that was an adjustment post Avery Davis news and also post Marcus Freeman announcing that he's going to be ready week one. Um, it, he was one of those fringe guys when I first put together my list, but I think after that news, I kind of bumped him up. And um, I mean, I also had uh 
Raritan and, and Lacey kind of in just like a pool of players that I was considering as I was trying to round out my list. And as Mason, Mason mentioned, this is just, it's, it gets pretty tough, especially like towards the end. I mean, I think we can agree. There's kind of like a clear line of demarcation with like that top tier, say like a top 15, top 10 yeah. of guys that we're all, we're all going to have ranked highly, but towards the end, you know, you have a mix of guys who are very experienced, proven they can contribute and also, um, you know, some of the younger incoming players who have, you know, maybe a higher ceiling potentially because we haven't really seen them in a larger role. So right. it's just, it, it's really tough to gauge um, and it makes this a lot more entertaining overall. Yeah. And you, and you guys both brought up a good point there. So when I was going through this, I kind of determined that the top 14 were, were essentially unanimous. We all had them on our lists in some capacity, whether it was one or 25, whatever it was. And also like there was a, there was a, a pretty steep difference in the number. Um, once I did all the calculations from like, even like starting at 14 to who, who, number 14 to number 15. So 15 through 25 were actually fairly close and one through 14 were relatively close in their, in their own way as well. So it really is like that top half is just, I think everybody that's a Notre Dame fan that follows it like us will probably have them as well somewhere in that top group. And then that 15 through 25 can really be honestly interchangeable, probably between maybe close to 30 guys. Um, and, and we saw that. So, um, and yeah, I mean, just kind of mentioning, like, I mean, I think me and Mason both had Jacob Lacey on our list. You did not Jack. Um, you, like you were the only one with Logan Wilkins. You were also the only one with Howard Cross. I, that was actually a, a change I made because I remembered that Jacob Lacey is supposed to be the starter at nose tackle and Cross is behind Jason Adam So I kind of just gave him a solid bump because I think he's going to receive more snaps there. Um, and then I believe it was Mason and I that had Jaden Thomas and Jack, you did not. And then Raritan and uh, Raritan was only was only Mason. So certainly a fun list there. Um, but let's let's get um, from like 25 to 21 here. We'll run through them real quickly. Like I mentioned, there is a at 25. There are two guys. Um, we had Audric Estime at 25 and also Blake Groupie, the new kicker at 25. And ironically enough, it, I think Mason was the only one that had estimate on his list, but it was high enough that it, that it bolted him to into the top 25 as a group. Um, and then myself and Mason both had Blake groupie and Jack, you did not. So kind of let's, uh, and then 24 is Bo Bauer. 23 is Justin Adam Alola. 22 is Logan Diggs. And then 21 is Braden Lindsay. So uh, anything kind of stick out there for you guys. Jack hates kickers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> not true in the least. I, I mean, I, in the past I have typically included at least the, the starting place kicker. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just because that they, they, they're bringing in a couple of, of transfers in the, the special teams roles that I was just kind of content leaving them off my list. Um, but uh <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't fault you guys at all for including him there because especially when you think of like big moments late in games, like it like more often than not, it's gonna come down to some some play on special teams. Um, so for that reason, like I think he is rightfully included in in this top 25. Yeah, so kind of go ahead. I really had him in there. Did I have him at 25, Nathan? Do you have it right there? 
Uh, you had him at 24, and I actually had him at 20. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, 24. I think I had him at 25 initially. I must have bumped him. But, um, yeah, I think he'll be impactful, and I think he is will be a, a reason Notre Dame wins or loses games, potentially. I think they're going to rely on him, you know, week one against Ohio State. He's going to need some sort of field goal. I mean, Notre Dame's not going to score a touchdown every time they get in the red zone. I mean, I prefer they did, but, or if he needs to, you know, you can't be missing extra points kind of thing, leaving points on the field. So I'm not so worried about him missing, you know, from close, but maybe he'll get tested from range. Notre Dame needs a 40 yarder. Can he do that? So uh, I think he will be impactful. Um, you know, impactful is kind of a funny term, impactful, good or bad. I think he's right. going to impact this team in, a, in one way or another. That's kind of how I thought about it. I'm like, there are so many times you can just kind of think of over the last several years where there was a big kick to win a game. I mean, last year against Florida State, you know, you had Jonathan Doerr hit that 48-yarder to win it. Um, so groupie to me was kind of in that same that same realm where it was like he's either going to be not good and Notre Dame's going to maybe lose some games because of it, or he's going to hit some big big field goals and. You know, he goes out three, maybe if he goes out against Ohio State and goes three for three, regardless of how far they are, to me, that's pretty impactful. So um, I, I, I almost had to include him on the list. Um, one thing I did want to mention, and I, I think I might end up looking stupid for this in the long run, but I was the only one out of the three that did not have Braden Lindsay. And it's not because I don't think he's an, he can be an impactful player. Ironically enough, when I, when I made my list originally, I didn't have uh, Avery Davis on it either. And my thought process was, is those guys are going to kind of just have their role and guys like Lorenzo styles, who we're going to get to um, way far, way, way farther up the list. Um, and, you know, obviously Michael Mayer and those guys and, and some of the running backs, I just felt they were going to have a more actual impactful role to where like they're going to win games because of those guys while Avery Davis and maybe a Braden Lindsay. Now, obviously with the news of, of Davis, that might change some things. And I, I, it could look stupid. Like I mentioned, um, I just thought it was interesting that um, we were, you guys were a lot higher on him than I was. You guys both had him actually in the teams and I had him off the list. So that, that one kind of stuck out for me for sure. Yeah, I think my thought process was, I think I put almost all of the receivers, if not, you know, five or six or whatever it is, four or five, because I think that they're going to have a big impact on the on the team. And, you know, regardless, I don't think Lindsay's a top 25 player on the team, but I do think he's going to impact Notre Dame, you know, similar to groupie one way or another. And Lindsay too, like Reese kind of likes to use him as an extension of the run game as, as well, at least in some gadget plays. Um so just an added element to his role um, that I think kind of warrants him being uh, at least at well, where I had him top 20. Sure. Sure. And actually one guy we're going to get to right now um, in the 20 through 16 range. Um, I did have Jaden Thomas on my list. He did. And we, we just talked about him making uh, barely missing, um, but uh, Tobias Merriweather starts it off at number 20 for us. JD Bertrand at 19. Uh, Clarence Lewis at 18, Tariq Bracey at 17, and DJ Brown at 16. Um, Merriweather is a good example of a guy that I think can have just like this higher impact. If, if he hits as a true freshman, then someone like Lindsey, um, he could be a red zone threat. You know, he's just a big dude out there. And so um, I, me and Mason actually were the only two that had Merriweather on our list. Jack, you sort of in the realm of Braden Lindsey. We both had him in the, we had him in the teams. You had him off your list. 
Um, what kind of sticks out to you guys about this group of five? I think it's an interesting group for sure. I think it's guys that um, they're going to play, they're going to play a big role, but they're not, um, they're not necessarily the guys that you think of that are winning and losing games for Notre Dame, but I think that their, their individual contributions will play a big role. So a guy like DJ Brown, I don't remember exactly where I had him, but you know, I made my list of, I think I started with a list of like 30 or 35 and I ended up cutting it down and trying to figure out where I wanted guys. So, you know, it's easy to put that top 10 in, but once you think about, you know, DJ Brown's the projected safety next to Brandon Joseph. So how much is he going to impact, you know, winning and losing for Notre Dame? How much of a role is he going to have? How much better is he than Houston Griffith, if at all? Is he replaceable? It, can Ramon Henderson or Xavier Watts step into that role and be the same kind of player? So um, I think he's he's better than those guys comfortably. Um, he needs to shore up his tackle a little bit. But, yeah, I think that second safety spot is huge for Notre Dame, especially week one. Yeah. Um, I, I think DJ Brown, especially considering his experience and when you hear like some of the beat reporters talk about him, um, even though like, he's not really out there making a whole lot of flashy plays or stuff that, you know, makes you want to like rewind and go back and be like, wait, what did he, what did DJ Brown just do right there? He just, I feel like is very good at limiting the, the mistakes. And that's kind of precisely what you want from someone playing the, the safety position. Um, and fortunately for him, he's playing alongside a, a preseason All-American, which takes a little bit of pressure off of him or maybe even uh, increases the amount of work that he's going to see as teams try to target him instead of uh, the side that Brandon Joseph is covering. But um, I think he just brings uh, a good amount of stability to the back end of Notre Dame's defense. Um, and, uh, I think he could have a, a very, very good season, uh, with regards to, to Merriweather, um, I don't know, like typically when I, when I'm putting together these lists, I, I stray away a bit from, from the, the incoming freshman, but, um, I, I mean, I think he's going to have a very, very good Notre Dame career. I just think with just the general unknown of, of a, a true freshman playing in the first season, um, I'm just a little bit wary, at least to include him in, in this list uh, right away. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. I mean, I, it's very possible that Joe Wilkins and Brayden Lindsay both have more impactful seasons. Like, I don't think that that's something that would be flabbergasting to anybody. Um, interesting, I thought, part about this list is obviously Brown, Bracey, Lewis. We all three had them. Um, that was a consensus in regards to that, and we all had them very similar. I kind of echo your thoughts specifically on Brown. You know, he played very well last year overall when Kyle Hamilton left, and I think that was a huge boost to why I had him on the list. Plus, he's gotten some good praise in camp so far from the guys, the beat writers that have been out there, you know, essentially saying that. I mean, I know, I know Marcus Freeman sort of poo-pooed the idea that he was 100% the starter um, in his presser on Saturday, but it certainly has felt like he's been the better player out of all of those other guys um, so far in camp. And um, I expect him to be, have a pretty good season for them. Um, and then ironically enough, Bertrand and Merriweather were the two guys that were left off on at least one of our lists. And they both tied um, with Bertrand having the higher ranking a little bit. So that's why I put him at 19 and Merriweather at 20. Um, I think I was the only one that had Bertrand off the list. While um, again, uh, Jack, you were the only one with Merriweather off the list. So, so certainly some, some interesting stuff there. Um, but uh, let's get here. Then the, the, This one should be kind of interesting because we're going 15 through 11. I mentioned earlier that the first 14 guys 
were a consensus. Ironically enough, uh, so it goes uh, Zeke Carell at 15. Um, myself and Jack with Carell had him way significantly higher than Mason. Mason didn't even have him in his top 25. Um, so he is the highest guy on the list that wasn't included on everybody's. Um, and then we went, and then this is where we get to the kind of the consensus. Riley Mills was 14 with myself having the highest grade on him. Maris Leofal at 13 with Mason having the highest grade on him. Chris Tyree at 12. Um, myself and Jack were tied for the highest grade on him. Jack Kaiser at 11, and, or sorry, and Jack Kaiser at 11, and that was a Mason highest grade. So what kind of sticks out there, guys? I'll speak on Zeke Carell. I didn't feel like I needed to put, I, I don't know if I include all five starting offensive linemen, but I know I didn't put him in. I think he's replaceable at center until proven otherwise. Um, move, you can move Patterson back there and you have another guard available in Christophic. So um, I don't know. I think Carell's fine. I don't expect him to be one of the best 25 players or more most impactful players on the team because I consider him replaceable, but um, could be proven wrong. I want to see you guys uh, kind of defend your, your stance here. This um, those were like almost exactly where I, I had those players ranked on my ballot. I think the only difference is I had uh, Kaiser and, and Tyree just one slot um, further ahead. So that's funny how that kind of worked out because I had Carell 15, Mills 14, Leah Fowl 13. Um, with Carell, I mean, I, I already mentioned that, that I always include the starting offensive line in, in my list. Um, 15 for a guy like Zeke Carell, maybe a little bit higher than, than most would say, but um, I think he's gotten a, a lot of praise uh, over the, the spring and, and, and um, fall camp as the, the practices have been going on. Um, he, I think definitely as far as if you're, if you're looking at how you could reorganize the offensive line, um, removing him from the starting lineup and then say shifting Patterson back, um, considering the depth that they have at the guard position, um, like would make sense and is very doable. But I mean, I, I just think he's proven himself worthy of being in that, that starting five so far. So, because I mean, if he hadn't, if there was any doubt, then Patterson would be your starting center. That wouldn't really make sense to move him out of that position. Um, so, I mean, we're going to find out because, uh, you know, hell of a test to start the year, but um, I think he's earned a spot in that, in that starting five. I think there's a couple things there with Carell specifically. I mean, he's playing center. So center, I think is one of the most important positions on the field. Um, you have to have, you know, you, you have to have good chemistry with your quarterback. You have to be a leader on the offensive line. I think there's a reason Harry Heastan was willing to move a guy like Jack Patterson, who honestly might be a top five center in the country to kind of make that the top group there. So that's certainly that played a factor. And, and also his play as a center when he got the opportunity um, a couple of years ago against really good competition. I know he was in there against, I believe, North Carolina and Alabama played really well. So certainly a guy there. And then Jack, the funny thing was, as you mentioned, that all those guys were sort of in that realm as well. Um, same with me. I had Mills, Tyree, Kaiser, and Carell, and um, Marist all grouped in, in in a group of five and in that order. So like I mentioned, I was the highest on Mills. I actually had him at 10 
Um, and you guys were a tad lower on him, which made him 14. But but I was very similar with you in that regard where I had them all just grouped right there. And ironically enough there, that's where they are. So, so certainly some, some interesting stuff there. All right, guys, any, anything else from that 11 through 15 group? I don't think so. I think it's pretty solid. And um, I think we're going to be all pretty unanimous on this top 10. I will say I am very excited to see Maris Leofau playing football again. I think he's a super electric player to watch. Um, and I will, one thing I think of this group, one guy who I could see making a case for um, being in the top 10 um, as we like reflect on the season once it's finished is uh, Chris Tyree um, kind of in a little bit of like wait and see and, and, and prove it to me first. But um, considering the, the role that he's going to be playing this season, he could definitely um, earn a spot in the top 10. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was going to mention that we didn't really talk too much about Kaiser and Tyree, but Mason actually had Kaiser specifically in his top 10. Um, I think he's a guy that's just rock solid. And then, you know, it's just going to, he, I mean, you always hear like, he's just a guy that's not going to come off the field. He's at Rover and there's some other guys that could probably play Rover like in Jalen Sneed as a freshman or even like Prince Collie could probably cross train there, but he's just so fundamentally sound. And also I think underrated from an athletic standpoint, because he came from a small school in Indiana uh, at a high school that, you know, people don't realize how good he is. Um, and then kind of the same thing with Tyree. He's a guy that I mentioned with Brown um, or kind of in sim similarity to Brown is just a guy that has had some praise so far in camp. And, and you kind of expected, you know, he was a top 100 recruit coming out of high school, fast as hell. You kind of expect him to maybe make that, that third year in the program jump and, and be a really special player. So he could go, honestly, like Tyree probably has the highest upside on that on that list of, of guys in my opinion to finish in the top five i think i'd agree i'd go Tyree and then potentially riley mills he, i think he could easily jump yeah, into the top five by the end of the year yeah no absolutely i could agree with that as well so let's get here uh 10 through 6 um i will say that so kaiser was at 11 um patterson jarrett patterson and jack kaiser actually tied in our and when i when i did the actual final standings but you guys both had patterson significantly higher overall um, I actually had Patterson all the way down at 15. So um, that's why Patterson came in at 10. So him and Kaiser technically tied, but we, Patterson kind of got that bump for 10 because of that. Um, and I believe it was Jack specifically that had Patterson as the top guy. I think he had him at number five. Uh, Joe Alt, um, I was the highest on him. We'll definitely have to talk about him because I had him in my top three. Um, he comes in at nine. Uh, Jason Adamoola comes in at eight. Um, we all pretty much had him in a very similar spot in that seven to 11 range, I believe. Um, I think me and me and Jack tied there. Um, Blake Fisher, number seven, and then Cam Hart, number six. So what kind of sticks out to you guys um, with that list of six through 10? I want to say I had all in the teens. I, I want to hear you talk. Well, I, I mean, I guess we should save it for the top five, but I want to hear you talk about all. I never say I know the left tackle is super important, but what specifically made you a made him a top three player for you? Yeah, I mean, honestly, and we can talk about him because he's, he's number nine on this list. So we'll, talk, we'll definitely talk about him right here. I, it, that's honestly exactly how it was. He was a freshman All-American last year playing left tackle as a kid that came in. And I just think left tackle is so important. And same with right tackle. I had, I mean, I had Fisher, I think at nine. 
um, and Joe Alt at three, because it's like, you know, it's hard to lump them both together when there's just so many good players. Um, I could see that easily being flip-flopped at the end of the year. But yeah, no, it really just came down to, I think Alt's a really good player and he's the left tackle uh, protecting the blind side of a, of a freshman quarterback. So if he has a tremendous season, I think the Notre Dame offensive line is going to have a tremendous season. And then in turn, the running, the running game, the quarterback play, the wide receiver play will all sort of piggyback off of that. And, and they'll all have, you know, just be a really good offense overall. Yeah. I think how um, my top three offensive linemen ended up ranked on my ballot is kind of counterintuitive because I had Patterson, who's a guard and then Fisher, and then a little bit further down alt. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree that, I, I mean, you could, pro- I mean, alt's probably playing the most important position just from a positional standpoint. Uh, but I view Jarrett Patterson as the most versatile offensive lineman in the starting five. Um, I think if Notre Dame suffers an injury, really at any of the five positions, he's might be tapped to kind of move first, um, especially considering, as we've talked about, some other guys who um, provide some really good depth at guard for Notre Dame. Um, so that's kind of why my, my reasoning for having him um, as a top offensive lineman on my list. And then Blake Fisher, you know, first guy off the bus kind of guy and just like his sheer like size and athleticism for that size is just like unmatched in my opinion. Um, and man, he, I mean, he like, as far as just like the ceiling for all of these linemen that Notre Dame is going to be starting this season um as far as like nfl draft potential he i think is clearly clearly the top of the class jack i i've told this story on this pod before but when i was with rivals and with blue and gold i got to meet blake fisher i've never been so humbled by a seven year old in my life like i went to shake his hand and you know just normal handshake or whatever and just the the most monstrous hands you could ever imagine it was like shaking hands with like a catcher's glove it was just unbelievable the size. I, I don't know. I'm five years older than the dude, and he could throw me across the football field, and I'm not a small dude. It's just unbelievable. Well, and Mason, yeah. you're, and you're bigger than me, and I'm older than you by a few years, and it's it's I I would imagine that I would not want to be next to Blake Fisher now. He could throw us both at the same time without an issue. Right. <laughs> so like ironically, ironically enough, you guys both had Joe Alt at 12, and I had, like I said, Joe Alt in my top three. So that was, I think, our biggest or like our like the starkest difference that we had um, with guys that finished in the top ten. Um, after that, I mean, there was some, you know, some fluctuation. But I mean, actually, I guess technically Patterson, because I had Patterson at fifteen, and you guys both had him at um, what? Mason, you had him at ten, and Jack, you had him at five. So there was a, a equally <laughs> kind of weird dis- difference there. Um, how we had him, but I, I, I think Jack, you make a really compelling argument. He's certainly the most flexible guy. He can probably play tackle in a pinch if you really need him to. He's proven that he's a really, really good guard, um, you know, at the collegiate level. So from that standpoint, I mean, it's hard to argue with having him there. Plus he's a captain and he's the, he's, you know, he's a re- returning starter of like three or four years now. And so it's just one of those things where it's hard to, it's maybe hard to place him, but also kind of easy at the same time, if that makes any sense. But uh, let's get into the top six here. because I think this is, or sorry, top five. And this is where I think we all agree 
at least to a certain extent. I mean, there are some, a little, some small differences, but this is how it shook out. Uh, Lorenzo Styles at number five, Tyler Buckner, number four, Brandon Joseph, number three, Isaiah Foskey, number two, and Michael Mayer, number one. And I think the first two specifically were the biggest consensus. Um, myself and Mason both had Mayer at one, Jack, you had him at two. And then we both, or sorry, and then I had Foskey at two, Mason had Foskey at three, and Jack, you had Foskey at one. So that, they made it very easy to kind of make that the top two. I think there's a pretty easy argument that those are the top two players on the roster from at least a sheer NFL draft standpoint and guys that are going to be successful, at least guys that are eligible this year, um, specifically speaking. So what, what kind of sticks out to you guys on, on that top five? I want to hear Jack talk about Fosky over Mayer. So in my mind, I, I kind of had him as like a 1A, 1B. Um, I just think, and honestly, in, in retrospect, especially considering the concerns surrounding Notre Dame's wide receiver room, I think it's totally fair to make the argument that mayor should be, uh, ranked number one. Um, I just think, I mean, as a, and this is like obviously no slight to, to Michael Mayer, but uh, Isaiah Fossey is just an absolute freak um, and the type of player that opposing teams need to specifically game plan for. Um, and just the, the, the effect that a great pass rusher can have uh, on a game, I think is a little bit greater than the effect that a, you know, an unbelievable tight end like a Michael Mayer can have. So that was kind of how I fell, but um, really, truly, I mean, it, it, it was like a 1A, 1B situation between the two. Could have, could have just flipped the coin. And I think that's like, in general, I mean, obviously, pass, rush, pass rushers are just a, a, there's a bigger value there. You see it in the NFL, pass rushers go, you know, number one overall, if it's not a good QB, and tight ends sometimes don't even go in the top in the first round when they're really talented. I mean, you see it all the time. You got, they look at the guys that are the top tight ends in the NFL. A lot of them weren't even in the first two rounds. So that standpoint, I get it. But when you mentioned the idea, and this is where I think mine and Mason's head went, is the fact that Mayer is just going to be so important for this passing attack, specifically at the collegiate level, where he's essentially like this team's Travis Kelsey, where he's going to get the ball. He's going to put up those type of numbers. I mean, we, they were talking on the Irish Illustrated podcast a few days ago where it, it wouldn't surprise them if he had 100 catches just because he's that important. I don't know if he's going to have 100. I don't know if they're going to throw the ball enough for him to have 100. But, I mean, geez, if he, if he has 100 catches this year and, like, over 1,000 yards and, like, double-digit touchdowns and just explodes for by far the best season at tight end in Notre Dame history – I mean, there's no way that guy doesn't go top 10, right? He's already considered like maybe borderline a top 10 pick. And if he does those type of, if he puts up those numbers, I mean, it would be, I, I might quit my job if, if, he, if he doesn't. Do you think he breaks his own record? I, 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 he almost has to, right? If he stays healthy, I don't see a way he doesn't, but he'll hold the record until Eli Raritan comes and smashes it. I think the only way he doesn't, honestly, is if Notre Dame is just so good at running the ball. 
Like if, if Buckner is just goes for like almost a thousand yards on the ground as a quarterback or something like that, like something crazy. And like the, and the offensive line is just so dominant, even against like Clemson and Ohio state that those teams just, you know, they can just run the ball whenever they want. Then yeah. Cause like, I actually have a bold prediction that we're going to talk about later on, not, not today, but later on, like next week about uh, styles. And it's like, I think that prediction could be way wrong <laughs> if they just run the ball too much. So Jack, do you have any thoughts there? No. And I mean, like I said, I could have easily had him as tops uh, on, on my list. Um, he is, as far as, I mean, like I said, very clearly to me, the the top offensive player when I was putting together my rankings. Uh, it just so happens that Notre Dame also has a guy who could have been a first-round draft pick last year returning for, for another season on the defensive right. side of the ball. So, right. uh, yeah, just, I mean, but, the yeah, I feel like those those records are, are, are kind of, like, tough to gauge because, like, on paper, it's like, of course. Like, he's got he's to break it considering the role that we're all expecting him to have for, in this offense this season. But, um, I don't know, sometimes it's it's tough to predict stuff like that. Absolutely. And then after it's fun. The other thing is, is you, we thought that this might be a bigger consensus, but after looking at our three lists, the only two guys that made all of our top fives were Marin Bosky. And that's how they finished number one and two. Like you guys both had Joseph, you know, I think Mason had Joseph at two, you had him at three. I had him at six. So just right outside the top five um, styles was at six and eight for both of you guys. And he was at four for me. Um, both Mason and myself oh, actually sorry Buckner made all of our top fives as well he was number five on both of mine and Mason's list and he was number four on your list Jack so three consensus top five guys that all made the list and then a couple other guys mixed in there um, want to do just one more quick rundown of what we had and then we'll get into some uh, some Twitter questions here um, 25 through one we had estimate and groupie as a tie at 25 Bo Bauer 24 Justin Adam Malola 23 Logan Diggs 22 Brayden Lindsay, 21, Tobias Merriweather, 20, J.D. Bertrand, 19, C.J. Lewis, 18, Tariq Bracey, 17, D.J. Brown, 16, Zeke Correll, 15, Riley Mills, Marist, Tyree, Kaiser, Patterson, wrap up that top, that, that top 15, Joe Alt at 9, Jason Adamalola, 8, Fisher, 7, Cam Hart, 6, Styles, Lorenzo Styles, 5, Tyler Buckner, four, Brandon Joseph, three, Isaiah Foskey, two, and Michael Mayer, one. I think all in all, I think it's a pretty damn good list, guys. Shout out to us. I think we did great. <laughs> Shout out to us. All right, Mason, throw, uh, throw, let's get some Twitter questions and so show some love to some of our followers. Cool, let's do it. Um, first one I'm going to go with is Sports Talk Drew, at Sports Talk Drew. A great follow if you're a Notre Dame guy. He's hilarious. Good friend uh, of the pod as well. Yeah, good dude. Um, shout out to our group chat as well. There's a group chat he runs on Twitter. There's like 75 people in it. It's wild at all times, but he runs it, maintains it. It's unbelievable. Anyways, this this question can go a lot of different ways. He said, if I told you a sophomore will step up and be considered the best player on Notre Dame's roster over Mayor, Foskey, Joseph, ETC, which player would you bet on it being end of season? Wow. I mean – we have two sophomores in our top 10, I mean, our, in our top five. So it's got to, in my opinion, it's probably got to be Tyler Buckner or Lorenzo Styles. That's and why I thought immediately. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to lean Tyler Buckner. And the reason I say that is, first of all, he plays quarterback. It's 
the most important position in all sports. Like you said, it's probably the pr most prestigious position, specifically at quarterback. It's the, it's the most prestigious quarterback position in all of college football at Notre Dame. We, I think we, us three, I'm not going to speak for everybody else, but us three specifically, I think all felt he was more of a, a five-star player coming in than when he kind of fell out of it due to COVID and missing his senior year of high school because of it and so on and so forth, maybe not producing as well in camps as other guys were um, for one reason or another. And so, yeah, I just think Buckner has that upside and there's a very good chance that going into next season, he's our number one player on the list. I think that's totally fair. Um, I'll play devil's advocate though. Uh, I think, I mean, especially considering the role that styles is going to play um, and is in all likelihood going to lead the wide receiver group in targets this season. Um, he's going to have a massive opportunity to put up some, some monster numbers. Um, and he's, he's shown he could be a, a real weapon in this offense. So um, yeah, I mean, really you can make the case for, for both those players. Um, I guess, considering like usage uh, Buckner is probably the safer bet, but um, I mean, Lorenzo styles can be very special. I think best case scenario it's Buckner or Styles because that says a lot about the offense, but you know, I was thinking trying to, come up with a different answer than you guys like thinking could it be alt or fisher but i was like what what could they really do to be the best player you know what i mean like how much better could they be than last season alt specifically where you're just like noticeably like is he pancaking like stomping on dudes like quentin nelson style like right. i don't know what, what more he could do um so i yeah, i'll go with buckner and uh, styles as and well before, and before you get to that next question mason i obviously i had alt at number three so i technically had him above styles and and Buckner. So I guess there's an argument to be made there, but at the same time, I agree with you, like the upside standpoint of Buckner or styles just being, cause they just, the positions they play um, maybe not even like the importance of the positions, because like, obviously like left tackle, you could argue is just as important as, as a wide receiver. Cause you need that blind side protector, but like, yeah, it's just one of those things where like, are we ever going to put a left tackle or, or an offensive lineman at number one? Probably. Right. Now, moving on to another uh, loyal listener, always asking questions of Nathan and I, Cheryl Russo on Twitter, always asking good questions from us. Appreciate her always listening. She said, Mason, if you were the coach, what position moves would you make? So I'm, I'm assuming this is targeted at the wide receiver position because that's the position that's of need. I'll go ahead and go first on this one. I What's been rumored in the last you know couple days or so since Avery Davis went down is the freshman safety Jaden Bellamy moving to receiver. Stephen Jelly's number one target uh, in high school. So um, he has a good background at receiver. I'd like to see that. Um, I've been kind of shit on recently for saying that Xavier Watts should move. Um, I don't, I mean, I, I think the safety position has enough depth and I don't think he's cracking the two deep as it stands right now. So I don't see a problem with moving him back. He came to nerd him as a receiver I know that's all kind of fluid, but um, yeah, I think those are the two that jump out to me. And then, you know, making the tight ends more involved in the passing game, whether that's putting them in the slot or whatever, so whether or not a true tight end, but those are the positions that jump out to me because I can't really think of another one that is in such dire need as receiver. All right. Yeah, no, and, and it, a lot of people, um, it, I feel like it was pretty popular take for people to say that, Raritan could cross train at receiver as well, just to give them some, some more depth to work with. But I think that that's probably, I mean, as far as people wanting to play, um, you know, like sitting in, in the coach's seat, that's probably the move that's going to be 
the most popular is finding bodies who can cross train at the receiver position. And more often than that, I mean, all these guys who are highly rated athletes are playing both sides of the ball in high school. So they have some experience coming into it, which makes the transition a little bit easier. Um, it's just tougher considering it's a condensed time frame, um, since we're only, you know, a few weeks out from the season opener, but yeah, I think that's the, that's probably the, the move that would, would make the most sense. Um, uh, prior to the injury to Jadarian price, I might've said, Hey, maybe, um, not really a position switch, but like to see a little bit more of, of Chris Tyree working from the slot too. Um, considering his athleticism and speed, I feel like he could be a real threat, um, and really draw the attention of a defense as well. Um, but yeah, really it's probably this conversation is just going to revolve around how can we help out the, the receiver position? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not really on board with moving Xavier Watts. I mean, I think there's uh, they've been talking about it. Um, I'm pretty sure they asked him in the spring this year if he wanted to move back, and he said no. So that right there, you've already moved him once. You put him at safety. It looks like he really enjoyed playing safety last year. He got some time. I think they're going to rotate safeties this year too, so I, I think he's a guy that's going to see some time, whether it's there. I mean, I think there's a chance that he can sort of have like this weird package at Rover or at least closer to the line of scrimmage as well. So I think he's going to be an impactful player on the defensive side, even if he's not starting. And if, and if he flat out said, Hey, look, and I don't want to move back in the spring, then I, I just, I think you leave it. Um, now the, the other toke, the other side of that is he's probably the one guy that you can move there and he might have some sort of an immediate impact on the wide receiver room, just because he has had at least a year in that room or a year and a half in that room. And, you know, I think showed some promise at times, um, at least in practice. So if you move a guy like Jaden Bellamy, which is actually my pick is to move him and actually move him permanently. Cause I think he was, um, I actually valued him a little higher coming out of college at wide receiver. Um, but the staff wanted him at safety or corner. And so they didn't, you know, they, they just kind of did that and they, they liked the athleticism, but if, if Bellamy's open to it, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he might not make like an, an impact this year on that side of the ball, but he's certainly a body in practice. He can learn, he can learn the, the, the job, maybe be a slot guy for you next year and, and it can be a more permanent position switch versus kind of just messing around with Xavier Watts and moving him back to safety next year or something like that. And one more guy I'll throw out there who was also kind of a, a, a good wide receiver in high school is Philip Riley. And the reason I mentioned him is even though he has a year in the program, you know, he's not really, he hasn't really made an impact yet. You know, he didn't make an impact last year. Ryan Barnes is clearly ahead of him on the depth chart right now. I think Jaden Mickey obviously is clearly ahead of him on the depth chart. Wouldn't be surprised if Morrison um, or Chance Tucker are higher than him as well. It just, it, I don't know if they are for sure, but it just, it's not, you know, I think he's right in there with those guys. And, you know, maybe he's a guy that would be willing to make an impact there and kind of like Jaden Bellamy, um, but with one year of at least weight room with, uh, you know, with Bayless and stuff like that, where he might make some plays uh, if need be. Yeah, no, I agree with all, all the points there. I think all good calls. And uh, we'll go ahead and do this last one and get you guys out of here. Um, this is from Sean Ryan uh, at Sean1626. Unfortunately, he's a Real Madrid fan, but we always have good talks about soccer. I appreciate him um, <laughs> sending in a question. He did tell me that Chelsea would always lose to Real Madrid if I didn't answer this question. So I'm not going to put that juju out in the end of the world. He said, we are all expecting big things from this team and from this coaching staff. I believe the hype is real, but I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts and reactions to this. 
what result would be considered an absolute failure and disappointment by this team and staff? Uh, I usually like to keep things more uh, more positive on this, but I think it's an interesting point because there has been so much hype and so much optimism, which is refreshing. But at the same time, I think it's fair to look at the other side of the token and ask, you know, what result would be considered, you know, after we're looking at the end of the season come January and you're like that this last season, this 2022 season was an absolute failure, an absolute dumpster fire. What record or what would have to happen for you to be like, we need to take a huge step back. What just happened? Go ahead, Jack. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know if, if I would go so far as to say this would be an absolute failure, but it would certainly be disappointing if say they went eight and four and that would mean that they lost each of their four big games, or at least what I'm viewing as big games, which is Ohio state, uh, BYU, USC, and Clemson. Um, or they won, uh, a pair or, or one of those and then you know lost to a team that they should have easily beat um so that i think would be like the line of demarcation for me if they have four losses at the end of the season i'd be pretty disappointed um but i mean i think that it's like it's not an easy schedule so like despite the fact that we're coming off what is it three seasons of double digit wins or four something like that something insane um i think it's so close it's to five, actually yeah if, if we don't win double digit games this year um and, and say, well, I guess double digit games in the regular season, um, then I think, you know, people are going to be disappointed naturally, but um, I think it's considering we're at the start of Marcus Freeman's career as a head coach, you have a new starting quarterback, a bunch of different factors. I, I think you, that most fans are going to be at least understanding, but uh, a season with four losses would definitely tip the scales to being a little bit disappointing for me. So I came into this question thinking I was going to say nine and three. And my reasoning behind it was if you, I, cause I don't consider, I mean, I like BYU. I think they're a talented program and certainly a program that can sneak up on you and, and beat you. Um, I will be at that game obviously cause it's in Las Vegas. Um, but nine and three kind of the same way you said eight and four you lose all your good games nine and three is kind of the same scenario you lose clemson ohio state and usc that's kind of what i would think if you go nine and three or at least you know you assume now obviously that's not necessarily the case and that's why i don't think nine and three is the end of the world with a new staff because maybe you do beat clemson at home and you know boston college or byu sneaks up on you and, and beats you so like if you if you go nine and three, but beat a Clemson or beat an Ohio State or let's just say USC is undefeated going into that game, you know, last game of the year, Notre Dame upsets them or something like that as a, you know, as a team that's, you know, eight and two going in or sorry, nine and two going in or whatever. Um, sorry, eight, eight and two if in this case of nine and three. So 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 if, with that said, I don't think nine and three is the doom and gloom of a of a, of a regular season because you still have also that opportunity to go 10 and three if you win your bowl game. So I, I think I'm with you, Jack, eight and four. And it's just because we haven't experienced that of late that it would just seem like, and like you mentioned, it is a tougher schedule. So I think that plays a factor, but you just can't lose all of your good games. And it feels like if you go eight and four, the odds of, you losing all all three of those big name games is is like significantly higher than 
than having like you win two of those games and then having two sneak ups. Cause I think if they beat Ohio state, I mean, like, I'm just going to predict it right now. If they beat Ohio state on September 3rd, I'm probably just going to assume they go undefeated or with one loss just because that's a huge game. And especially if like Buckner and styles and, you know, all those guys just look really good. I'm like, man, let's go. And so if they, if that's the game they win, I just don't see how they lose another, you know, three games. And I, and honestly, kind of the same way with Clemson, if you beat a team like Clemson, like, I just don't see how you lose to some of these other programs. USC is still maybe like, a, you have to see it to believe it. You know, they have a lot of new guys coming in, brand new coach as well. They haven't beat Notre Dame in a while. So it's like Notre Dame sort of has that, you know, we're better than you still. And so like beating them isn't like the end all be all, I guess. So I, yeah, it's just, for me, it'd be eight and four. And then obviously if it's lesser than that, then obviously it's, it's, you know, if you go seven and five, six and six, but if we're talking just the, the bare minimum of where I'm like, man, this is a really upsetting season. I think I'm going to go eight and four as well. Not yeah, Not to be boring. I, I had the line set in my head at eight and four before you guys spoke on it. So I think that's the line for me too. But what's interesting is that Vegas has Notre Dame set. It was the line was set at nine and a half wins. It's down to eight and a half now. So it, it's right on that line of where we can, we consider eight wins to just be a horrid season, but Vegas is, you know, is keeping that in realistic outcomes. So that's interesting for sure. I mean, I don't think Notre Dame goes, 0 for three in those that Clemson, Ohio State, USC run there. Um, I guess you can include BYU considering they're ranked in the preseason AP poll, in the top 25. Uh, so solid program, solid program. Right, and a, a really old program too. But a big f you to the people that keep saying Notre Dame doesn't play anybody for ranked teams. I mean, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's a good question from Sean Ryan. I think it's interesting and. Um, I mean, hopefully Notre Dame doesn't go eight and four. People are going to be calling for Freeman's head. People are going to be calling for Freeman's head if Notre Dame loses week one, no matter how they lose. So whatever. They could, yeah, they could go 11 and one and get blown out in the, 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 you know, national championship game or in the first round of the playoffs and people would be, ah, oh, it's, it's Kelly all over again or whatever. Kelly. Um, I, I do think that it, it should be stated that it's probably a little bit affected by some, unconscious coping mechanism of us being Notre Dame fans trying to set ourselves up to not be as disappointed. Uh, <laughs> otherwise we might set that line a little bit higher, but um, I mean, as we talked about, like it's definitely not, not an easy schedule. Um, and there are other factors at play that make it a little bit more difficult than any typical season. Right. And, that, and that's honestly why I mentioned the nine and three to begin. Cause like I, I was, I think it was a podcast I was on with John, with John of always Irish and Mason. And this was probably like four or five months ago after Freeman got hired. And I was like, man, like, like nine and three would disappoint me. And I think it would, I think it'd be disappointing, but it's not like, what is it? A failure of a season. I don't think it's a failure of a season to go nine and three. So like the, I think the wording there made me kind of like take a step back and say, listen, like they can go nine and three, still win a bowl game, maybe win their first new year's like legit new year's bowl game in a while and go 10 and three and beat one of those really good opponents on their schedule and feel good about it. Um, and it's just kind of the start of things to come. And that's kind of what I think people are hoping for, but we've been rambling on for a while guys. Um, Jack, I know it's always fun when you come on, we, we can go for days talking about Notre Dame football. I think myself and Mason specifically, we text each other, pretty much nonstop throughout every single day of the year about Notre Dame football. And then we come on here and we 
blasted some more. So it's just kind of funny, but uh, go ahead. Um, obviously you have the slant route podcast. Um, you have a Twitter page for that. You have a Twitter page for yourself. Go ahead and plug yourself and tell where people can find you real quick. Uh, yeah, well, I appreciate it and always love, like I mentioned, always love uh, talking nerd and football with you guys. Um, but yeah, uh, my personal Twitter is uh, Leniart underscore ND and Leniart is L-E-N-I-A-R-T. And then the Twitter for my podcast is at the Slauncher route uh, and Slauncher is S-L-A-I-N-T-E. Yeah, I say slant. I won't forget my smoke. You're not the only one. You're not the only say, one. It just feels better. It sounds better. I'm not saying it sounds when you say it, it sounds like cilantro, and I'm not saying that. Yeah, Jack probably says it the right way, but you know Oh, I'm, he says it the right way 100 percent Right. It's the Irish or Gaelic for cheers. That's the that's the word. I'll stick with sounding like an idiot, I guess. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Jack. We appreciate it. Yep. And real quick, guys, before we let you go, I know we said this last week, I'm going to keep plugging it until I get at least one tip out of this. Make sure you go check out mine or Mason's page on our Twitters. I'm Nathan underscore Erbach. He is Mason Plumber underscore. We both have our Venmo accounts on there. We do this for fun, but it does take some time and effort. We'd appreciate anything you guys can provide, even if that's just listening. Um, But go check that out if you're you're feeling uh, generous. So thanks, guys, and we'll see you next week.